You're listening to The Spiritual Awakening Show. This is another part of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. With me today is a very special guest, Angela. Angela's journey involves many interesting themes, including near-death experiences, spiritual gifts, and of course, Kundalini Awakening. You can find the video version of our conversation on my YouTube channel called Brent Spirit. Visit brentspirit.com for more free content like this and to find out about how you can support this work. Thank you for all of your ongoing help in making this possible. Now, let's jump into this Kundalini conversation with Angela. Enjoy. Thanks so much for joining us today and being willing to share about your very exciting journey. Welcome. Thank you. Oh, so welcome. Thank you. So Angela, Angela and I, we uh, were connected sometime late last year. And Angela, you had reached out and you had shared some information about your journey. And it was really fascinating what you had shared which I imagine has only scratched the surface. And so that's why we're here today. We're going to go a little bit deeper. But in that email, you had shared about some NDEs, near-death experiences, Kundalini awakening, of course. You had mentioned some really fascinating relationships and mystical encounters with divine beings. We talked a little bit about self-love. You had mentioned that you have some, some natural inclinations towards channeling, mediumship, and... When I was reading your email and what you had shared to me about your journey, I received an intuitive message, almost like a command interview, Angela. And it was like, okay, uh, you know, I was just, we were just, you know, corresponding over email. And I thought, uh, you know, I don't know much about Angela besides what this email is, but I received this command interview her. I thought, okay, cool. I get some some sort of intuitive messages like this now and then, and um, they kind of take a life of their own. And if it's meant to happen, it happens. Well, of course, <laughs> we're here today. And so later on, we were we were chatting some more, and you shared with me that you had this, you know, a similar inclination to share your journey. And you were asking me, you know, I'm not really sure how to do that, where to start, because uh, you know you haven't been too public about some of the experiences you've had. And so I said, well, Angela, you know, my guides, my intuition was telling me to interview you. So I'm inviting you onto the show to share. And so here we are today. The uh, the divine's command is, is underway. And we're going to enter into a really intense conversation all about your journey. Uh, really going deep into some of the things that you've experienced, which are fascinating. A little bit out there, a little bit far out, but... I like that stuff. I've experienced some stuff like that myself and our audience does. And so I know that you will be validating for those out there. You'll be inspiring. And not only have you experienced some some pretty uh, mystical, interesting things, but you've also gone through as a human being with a family, experiencing relationships, experiencing a career, experiencing the hardships. And you've come out, you know, I might say you've come out on the other side, a place where you're stable, confident, 
healed to a very high degree. And now you're here to share with others. And that's my intention behind the series, behind having people on like yourself to tell your story, to let people know they're not alone. So with all that said, Angela, you're coming to us today from Memphis. Uh, you mentioned the Bible Belt, so we'll get into all that. Uh, and as well, I, I, I just want to let our audience know, for those listening on the podcast, uh, not necessarily on the video on YouTube, but Angela's wearing a really bright, vibrant blue shirt, and I complimented her on it earlier, and she mentioned uh, that it's... Uh, it's it's her color for expression. I'll let you share a little bit more about that if you like, but uh, blue, the color of the throat chakra. So we will turn it over to Angela here. Why don't you let us know a little bit about your journey? Let us know a little bit about those mystical experiences, Kundalini awakening, near-death experiences, all that fun stuff. Take it away for us. Okay. Thank you, Brent. Um, you're right. I'm in the Bible Belt. And um, that has been a challenging place to grow up from time to time because I have had a lot of mystical experiences and I didn't feel like I really fit in here. Um, so I've been kind of guarded and haven't shared my experiences with many. Um, but, you know, we both received the guidance for me to speak and I feel like I'm at a place in my journey where I can do that now and, and feel okay about it. Um, I was raised in a loving home. I knew both my parents loved me and um, <clears throat> we attended church every Sunday. We attended a fundamentalist Christian church where, you know, they take the Bible literally. So I would often hear messages that uh, God would get angry with us. He would punish us. He would send us to hell for eternity if he wasn't happy with us. And um, hearing those messages when I was a child were frightening. I really didn't know what to think about God. Um, but I would also hear wonderful messages about Jesus. And um, we were taught in the church to uh, to devote our lives to Jesus and to make that decision to surrender our lives to him. And I did so when I was 11 years old and I was baptized in church and um, always felt comfortable with Jesus, just didn't understand God exactly. Um, so by the time I reached my 20s, um, and after I'd had several mystical experiences, I still wasn't sure about God, but um, my mystical experiences began when I was 15 years old. And I heard my name called out by a female voice. I thought it was my mother calling me from downstairs. And I went downstairs to ask her if she'd been calling me and she said no. And I went back upstairs, and as soon as I did, I, I noticed a very strong presence there. Um, I could not see her with my eyes, but I could definitely feel her. I'm very sensitive to energy. I can feel the energy of a room, but other people's energy very easily. Um, so once I felt her presence, I ran downstairs. I found it very frightening. It was startling, actually. Not frightening, but just startling. But my name was called out and 
then that night and for the next several nights, I began to, I would wake up in the middle of the night and my great aunt would be in the room. She had passed away when I was five years old. I didn't really have many memories of her. Um, but it would be frightening to wake up and to feel this presence in the room. She was just telling me she loved me and you know, she would just show, I, I had um, inner visions, so I could see visions that she was showing me, of memories she had of me, and as a little girl, she'd thrown a birthday party for me, and she just spoiled me rotten, really, from the stories I've heard and from the memories she was showing me, and it, so it was all very loving, but I found it frightening. I didn't feel in control, like she would just be there, you know, um, so every night that would happen, I would run down to my parents' bedroom, and I didn't know how to tell them what I was experiencing, so I would just say, I had a bad dream, and I need to sleep on your floor, so they didn't question that, you know, but eventually it was happening quite often, and I eventually just told my mother, look, this is what's happening, and she said, oh, well, that's great. Your aunt visits me, and she visits your my my mother. So she was telling me that she and my grandmother also had visitations from ancestors. And um, eventually I would find out over the years, they also experienced angels. Um, my mother saw Jesus one day in the garden, you know, so it was hereditary. You know, I had inherited this. Um, but I did not want it. I did not want the gift of sight or the gift of hearing. I didn't, I didn't want the gifts. And um, so when that initial encounter of my aunt occurred, I told my mother, you know, I asked her, how do I make it stop? I don't want this to happen anymore. And she advised me to call my grandmother and tell her what was happening. And uh, my grandmother was happy too for me. I was like, no, I want to make it stop. I don't want this. And so she taught me to pray nightly and ask God for protection and to tell my aunt that I knew she loved me, but you're frightening me. So I'm asking you to not come back. And my aunt respected that. And she has very rarely returned. Um, and not long after that experience, then I began having premonitions. So I would see like a movie play out in my mind. I would see the whole scene um, very clearly like someone had actually filmed a, a movie. And I could see the background and what people were wearing. And, and, um, and then those scenes would actually play out in front of my physical eyes within a matter of five to 10 minutes. And um, I never told anybody that for years, um, but I, I was very aware that as a teenager, there's more going on here than this physical world. I didn't know what to make of it. Um, and eventually I told my father you know, that I'm having the experiences with my aunt. And he said, you know, that's of the devil. And you need to be quiet about that. You don't need to talk about that. 
And I knew when he told me that um, immediately in my heart, I knew this is not of the devil. She was telling me how much she loves me, <laughs> you know, um, but I also felt, you know, I've got to shut this part down. It will never be accepted. And, um, and I took in, you know, that this part of me is not acceptable. Even, you know, and it's ironic, even though my mother and my grandmother both were very comfortable with their experiences because my father did not approve of it. I think he was trying to protect me because we are in a culture here where that sort of thing's not really accepted. Um, and since he encouraged me or discouraged me from that, then I just successfully shut that part of myself down um but then i did i started developing migraines and i had pretty severe migraines uh throughout my teens my 20s 30s and into my 40s um and i think it just has come from uh, the struggle to accept myself and to try to just stop these experiences you know, I've, I've never had a negative experience, spiritual experience, um, but it would trigger this. They would trigger this feeling of I'm different. I'm not going to be accepted. And uh, so it just took me a long time to be comfortable with that part of myself. Right. Yeah. And, and it's it's almost, at least in the West, it almost seems to be a universal experience of those with these um, sensitivities to be able to connect with the non-physical or to have a sort of spiritual sense, right? And and it's a real shame. I remember growing up as a kid too, I had I had thought, you know, we read in the Bible. I, I also grew up, uh, you know, as a Catholic, went to Catholic school and whatnot. You know, we read of stories in the Bible where, where God spoke to people and, you know, things like that. Jesus came back from the dead. But today, if I were to say, you know, God spoke to me, people would say, you know, no, he didn't. And, you know, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. But yet this is what we go to church once a week or whatever and and believe. And as a child like you, I thought there's something off here. You know, it doesn't it doesn't uh, align with with, you know, um, what we're we're exploring in this religion and whatnot. But uh, I, I I appreciate earlier on when you said that, uh, you know, you were having these encounters, but you, you told your parents, you know, I was just having a nightmare and I need to sleep on your floor. Even at that young age, you had the tact. And I would say like the groundedness to know, to, to tread carefully when opening up about this. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the, I think that's the wisdom of children. There's like a certain, uh, insightfulness there. And we see with many people today, um, you know, as adults have these experiences and at times it can be super ungrounded and begin to try and tell everybody about this. And, you know, they end up in, you know, difficult situations like, like eventually you did, you know, people are labeling them or, you know, um, you know, you're getting ostracized and whatnot. But I just think it's interesting that as a child, you thought, you know, maybe the first thing I should do is just kind of keep it low key. Eventually, you know, you had to open up, but, uh, seems to be a very universal experience that when we do open up, we're shut down. It happened to me too. 
And that is a major motivation for why I, I do this work. It's just to, to, to keep company with those who are going through, through this, to let them know that, yeah, maybe the people in your close circle, family, parents, friends, shut you down, but there's many of us out there and we're here, we're walking together and you're not, you're not alone. So thank yeah. you for, for joining us and, and, you know, helping me out in that, in this mission. So, so why don't you keep going with your, with your journey here? Okay. You had mentioned the, the blue sweater and, um, I've struggled during my life to find my voice and I, you know, I shut it down when I was a teenager and our throat, throat chakra, you know, is where we speak from. And, um, not only was I having migraines as a teenager, I eventually had thyroid issues. So, you know, um, it's good to finally have my voice. I've, I've used that in my career. I'm a speech therapist. Uh, speaking, communicating, being a messenger has has been the theme of my life. And um, so I just re I wear blue to remind me to, you know, to continue to speak in order to help others when I can. And um, going on with my story, by the time I was 21, I had a, another significant um, experience. I was on a canoe trip with some friends and a lightning storm came up. It was not expected and um, it was a pretty significant storm. We were in no place where we could find shelter. In fact, we pulled over to the shore uh, when the storm started and all that was there was a small little piece of land and a barbed wire fence and a tall tree. So, and I was just thinking we're a perfect target for this lightning. We, you know, we've got a metal fence here and a, and a very tall tree. And I became very frightened because I was thinking if, if one of us is struck, um, there's no way to get medical attention. And the only thing I needed to do was just to crouch down and cover uh, my head like we had been advised in school. We had tornado drills here and, you know, we were taught to get down and cover. And um, so that's what we did. And as soon as I crouched down to the ground, I was out of my body. And I was in a space where it was dark, but there was this very large movie screen in front of me and then I eventually realized it's all around me it's I'm seeing 360 degrees 360 degrees all around me and um pictures began to show up on the movie screen and starting with the baby and then getting a little bit older and by the time I was seeing the toddler I realized that's me because I could see, I remembered pictures of seeing myself as that toddler. And what was happening then was a full life review from the time I was born to the current time of age of 21. Um, I had a male figure standing next to me. I never actually turned to him and really got a good look at him, but I think it was Jesus. I don't know, but there was definitely a male presence here, a body I could see, and he was watching the screen with me. 
and he was totally neutral, just observing. But I was like on an emotional roller coaster. I was feeling all the feelings I'd had in all the scenes of my life, as well as feeling what other people in the scenes were feeling at the time. So if I brought joy and happiness to a situation, I felt it. I felt the other person's joy. If I upset someone, I felt how I'd upset them. Um, and I remember it was just a lot of basic teenage stuff. There were times when I had talked back to my mother. I was disrespectful. Um, I saw how I'd hurt her feelings. I saw how I'd hurt another a, a good friend's feeling. Well, she and I are still very close today. Um, but I saw times when I hurt their feelings. And, um, you know, I think that was just to show me, you know, you're here to be loving and kind. And, um, but I didn't quite know what else to take from that experience. And it only lasted what seemed like in earth time, about three seconds. Um, by the time I came back to my body, I, I looked around and was like, has anything here changed? Or, no, I, I think I was just in, I mean, gone and then back in here, you know, very quickly. But there, it seemed like I saw, it lasted about three years. The, the scenes on the screen passed very, very quickly. So that was 21 years that felt like I watched them in three years. Um, and there were times where the scenes were passing so quickly, I just really had to stay focused on what I was seeing so I could keep up with everything. It was, it was at a very fast pace. Um, and I remember coming home from the canoe trip and telling my parents, we were in this horrible lightning storm and lightning was coming all around and I could feel my my body, I could feel the electrical current uh, um, through my skin and my hair would raise up on the back of my neck at times when the lightning struck. And, and I said, you know, it's true. Our lives pass before our eyes, you know, when we die. And they just kind of looked at me dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do with that experience. And I remember literally, um, thinking I'm just going to file this away. And I put it in a file cabinet, shut the door. And with that, it was repressed. And I didn't think of that experience for another 20 years. Wow. Um, so then life continued on for me. I had a, a pray, you know, I prayed a lot as in my 20s and my 30s, I had devotion to Jesus. I didn't really attend church often, but um, my prayer life was important to me. And through college, I was praying and asking for guidance on how I could serve others, you know, asking Jesus to show me what to major in and where did he want me, you know, for my life. And so I was um, led into uh, speech therapy into the speech therapy program and doors opened so easily. And there were moments where I just knew this is it. This is, this is what I'm supposed to, to do with my life. And from there on, I married and had children and um, through my thirties was very involved in 
family life, career, and worldly things. I just didn't really think much about my spiritual path. I would still pray quite a bit, but my uh, mystical experiences were not really, I didn't have many things occurring through my 20s and on into my 30s until um, one at one point, um, my husband was laid off from his job and it was taking several months for him to find another job. And during that time, his father had offered that my husband returned to our hometown because we were high school sweethearts and both our parents our both our families remained in our hometown and his dad had asked him to come back and run the family business he wanted his father wanted to retire and pass it on to my husband pass the business on and it's just not something we were really interested in we had built our own life um several hours away from our parents we were enjoying our independence and um but my husband was having trouble finding a job so I, one evening i got down on my knees and prayed and i usually don't get on my knees to pray but this seemed like you know my husband was really struggling and I, we just needed answers on what we were supposed to do and so i just asked jesus i said i you know i surrender and my life and our lives and just guide us and tell us what to do and I immediately had a very clear vision of Jesus pushing me on my back he had his hands on my back and he was saying return home go back to your hometown and I cried and I told Jesus that's not what I want <laughs> you know so I'm not I'm not always uh happy to go along with some of the guidance it's hard to at times give up the ego's wishes and ex expectations and but um so I prayed the next night and I got down on my knees again and I said okay you know I don't want to go back there um again what do you want us to do and this time he kicked me in the rear end <laughs> I mean <laughs> so Jesus can have a sense of humor and he works to make his it gets his point across so i was like okay um so i told my husband the next day i think we're supposed to go back to our hometown so I eventually we worked to sell the house and we moved and the day um i arrived at my parents house we were going to live with my parents we were building a house there in our hometown and um, I sat down with my mother and <clears throat> she said, there's been quite a bit going on that we haven't shared with you because we knew you were going through the move. <clears throat> but your father is ill and we're seeing an oncologist tomorrow and we'd like you to go to the appointment with us. So I did. And as we were, the three of us, my mother and father and myself were sitting in the doctor's office waiting for the doctor to come into the examination room. Um, I had the experience of the descent of grace. It's, it's when it felt like um, warm honey being poured over me and all down my body and everywhere the warm honey touched, it was, I was at complete peace. So it was just washing me in complete and utter peace. And 
it took, it was only like a two or three second experience, but it was an immediate shift in my emotions. And I remember looking around the room and asking who's here. I knew somebody had to be there. Angel or Jesus is what I thought. And I couldn't hear or see anyone, but I knew I was being helped. And just right after that descent of grace, the doctor came in and told my father he had terminal cancer and he had about six months to live. And I watched my parents, of course, become very emotional. I felt nothing. And I tried to feel <laughs> shocked. You know, I was like, I should be feeling something. I should be feeling something. And I couldn't access any emotions, just peace just utter peace at what I was watching. And um, we went home after that, back to my parents' house, and my father and I were standing in the kitchen. And in my mind, I'm hearing over and over, this is why you're here. This is why you're here. And I heard it like five or six times. And I'm thinking, he's talking to me. And my father turned around and said, this is why you're here. You're here because I'm sick and you're going to be with me. And he walked, my father walked over to give me a hug and over my father's shoulder, there was Jesus. So Jesus was standing in the kitchen with us and we had both heard him say, this is why you're here. So Jesus may have sent my husband back to our hometown for work, but he sent me back to our hometown to be with my father. And when I saw Jesus, I was shocked. I mean, I was just blinking, like, am I really seeing him? He looked to be about about 90% solid. I could see him from head to toe. Uh, he radiated light, and of course, he radiated love. I could just feel it as soon as I saw him. And when our eyes met, they just, my eyes locked. I was just locked onto him. And he just poured love into me from head to toe. I was just filled with love. And to the point where I just immediately wanted to cry. I was just, there was so much love and my knees buckled. <laughs> and I immediately thought, oh, this is why, you know, it's, said people in the Bible would bow and want to, you know, fall to their knees with him. You know, that's how I felt. I just was overcome with so much love. It was all I could do to stand there. And I fell against my father and um, he thought I was just collapsing in grief, but I was collapsing in love. And Jesus was behind my dad. So my dad didn't see Jesus and I didn't tell my dad that I'd seen Jesus. I just didn't think that was something he would believe at the time. I told no one. Again, I, was, I had a lot of experiences. I just didn't tell anyone. That one felt so sacred that I didn't want that one. You know, I didn't want to hear someone didn't believe that. So I just kept that to myself. And eventually, um, it, it, you know, it was a blessing to be with my dad. We were very close, had a very close relationship. And on his deathbed, the last conversation we had, he was saying, you know, he was just not ready to go, that 
he expected, he thought he would live longer and he was just 57 at the time. And I had two young children. In fact, I, I had just had my daughter. She was only a few months old and I had a son and, um, and my father was saying, you know, I just had wanted to see the grandkids grow up and I don't want to leave. And he said, but if I'm able to watch over you, I'm going to. And I said, I would love that. Yes. And I said, but, and when you get there, when you get to heaven, you're going to see that you can come back and visit me. And he rolled his eyes and he laughed like I was just ridiculous, you know, like, okay. And um, I said, you will. And I want you to come visit me. And so that was our last conversation. And within about three or four months, he began showing up. And uh, I could feel his energy. I could feel his presence. I, the first time I, I noticed he was with me, I was sitting on the floor playing with my daughter. And he, I could feel his energy. And inwardly, I could see him sitting there. And I could hear him. And he was saying, she's wonderful, speaking of my little girl. And I was like, yeah, she is. And um I would just tell him how much I missed him. And he would send love just like Jesus did. I could feel it. I call it a spiritual hug. It would just feel, it would feel energetic, lots of tingles. And I would just um, be overcome with love. And his, so his visits were wonderful. And at first he showed up just every now and then and then I began to notice when he was with me more and more. One night I woke up and he was at my bedside. I could feel him. And I said, if you're here, prove it. Because I was still kind of doubting. Am I really experiencing him? And he knocked on my on the wooden headboard right above my head. Knock, knock, just like, I mean, loud. And I was just like, oh, you are here. <laughs> okay. And he um, eventually over time, learned how to uh, affect electricity and uh, he would move objects. He would turn on the ceiling fan. He, you know, uh, did all kinds of things to get my attention, to let me know he was there. Um, so those experiences continued and my migraines continued because I was still having trouble trying to figure out how to be myself, really. And um, I would share with my husband some of the experiences I was having with my dad, but he didn't really think they were happening. Um, so I was just having this internal battle, you know, of, of how do I be myself? And is this okay, what I'm experiencing? And I was also unfortunately telling myself, you know, if my husband can't accept this part of me, then nobody can, you know. And I thought my husband was supposed to love me, and he did. He, he did. Uh, but he made it clear he did not accept that part of me. And so I thought, well, if he doesn't accept me, no one will. And I'll just have to keep this to myself. So that internal battle cause a lot of head pressure often and 
uh, in my late 30s, then one night I woke up in the middle of the night with a very severe migraine. I've had, I'd had migraines by then that required me to go to the emergency room because the pain was so intense. And uh, this one was like that, but it, it woke me up about two o'clock in the morning. And my children were young. My daughter was, I remember my daughter was still in her crib and I didn't want to have to call somebody to come to the house. I didn't want to wake my kids up. Um, I didn't want to disturb anyone. And that's also my thinking at the time. I come last. So, you know, I was very much a people pleaser. I didn't want to be a bother to anyone. And um, I'll just put my needs aside and try to make everybody else comfortable. And so I decided that night to uh, take my prescription migraine medicine. And the instructions said to take one dose. And then if you still were in pain, take another dose of the medication in the next hour. You have to wait an hour between dosages. And um, I didn't wait. I took one pill and then the pain was so unbearable. I took another pill within 20 minutes and still the pain was unbearable. And um, I took two over-the-counter migraine pills. And I'm very sensitive to medication. I always have been. And I immediately became very lethargic. And I returned to bed and noticed that I was having trouble breathing. And I was drifting off to sleep and I would wake up gasping for air because my body was just shutting down. I, I wasn't breathing uh, anymore. And, you know, we, our body has, you, you breathe in voluntary, but I was having to voluntary, very much be aware of, now inhale, you know, just telling my body because it was not working as it should to to take to breathe. And I immediately realized, oh my gosh, I've, I've over medicated myself and it was very difficult to stay awake. And I prayed to God, please help me. I want to be a mother and a wife. Has it been my goal since I was a little girl? And I want I want to live. Please help me. And I was lying on my back when I said that prayer and I immediately felt a presence come over me and it had, it, it was physical because the light, I could tell a shift in the light as it moved over me and then came, it moved beside me and stood next to me. Um, and I was immediately frightened. I was like, oh my gosh, there's something here. You know, that was just always my first response typically. And I heard a Bible verse and it was an angel of the Lord stood by them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And when I heard that, I thought, I remember that from church because we had talked about sore afraid means terrified. And, and then I realized, oh, I'm being told an angel was here. And just as I was considering opening my eyes to see this, this angel, I felt a really strange presence in my feeling in my body, and it frightened me again. And this time it felt as if the angel's hand was coming directly through my skin, 
and it was if this were my stomach it was re it came into my body reached up under my stomach and i could feel fingers palpitating the exterior wall of my stomach and i was like i cannot believe this the angel has put his hand <laughs> around my stomach and as soon as i realized that static energy moved from within my body from my stomach all the way up my torso and through my head and visually my in my inner vision i saw static and then i felt the physical static uh the energetic static moving through me very strange sensation it was not painful at all but not a typical sensation and at that point my father appeared and he he usually appears just kind of, I feel him just right next to me, but this time he was just directly over my face. And he just wanted me to know he was there. And he said, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And he said that over and over. And I began to relax knowing he was there with me. And the next thing I noticed was another large presence that was there. And once I noticed this other very large presence, I had the inner vision of a waterfall and the blue water. It was gorgeous. I've never, I haven't seen a waterfall like that here. Uh, I remember thinking I could stare at this forever. It was so beautiful and light sparkled off of it. And the light, white light sparkling off of it was so bright that I almost just kind of wanted to squint my eyes. You know, it was a lot to take in. And as I saw the waterfall, I felt a waterfall of love just pour into me. And immediately, just like I had been with Jesus, I was con totally consumed with love. And I, the tears were just flowing. And I remember hearing them just drip, drip, drip. I was crying so much, you know, just so overcome with this perfect love. And that love put me at complete peace. And I noticed still that the body was having trouble breathing. It was not getting better. In fact, it was getting more difficult to breathe. And, but I had no fear, no fear at all. And I realized at one point, the, the, I was having such a hard time breathing. I knew I'd just taken my last breath. And I had the thought, okay, that was my last breath. And it was no different than saying, I had eggs for breakfast this morning. You know, it was just, it didn't, there was no fear in it whatsoever. And I accepted that was my last breath. And then my soul merged, came out of my body and merged with that large presence. And once I joined with that presence, I had the immediate thought, this is God. It was so powerful, so vast, and the one of the first qualities I noticed about it was it's eternal. And then once I realized this is God, my next thought was, oh no, I took too much medication and God's going to be disappointed in me. And I just froze, just froze and I waited. I waited for the judgment. I expected the judgment to come, and it never did. All I was still feeling was just I was completely surrounded in this eternal love. 
And so then I intentionally started to move myself further and further into God and um, searching. I was still searching, thinking there's got to be at least a little speck of judgment here. I've heard about the judgment. It's, it's here somewhere. And I was searching. Uh, I was moving through this presence and searching, searching, and I never found it. In fact, the love was just becoming more and more profound uh, that I just gave up on the search for judgment and realized it's not here. And um, and then at that point, I just lost awareness of ever being Angela. And if someone at that point would have said, how is your life on earth? I would have said, what is earth? You know, I was just consumed by this love and I had become it. I was infinite. I had, ex I was allowed to expand and expand and expand until I was the size of the cosmos. I was huge and just vast. And it was such perfection, you know, and I had the thought at one point, oh, this is what I've been searching for. And also had this outpouring of my soul of just thank you, thank you, thank you. It, I wasn't saying those words, but that gratitude was flowing for me. And I realized I'm home. This is home. And I knew at that point I didn't, you know, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave this. And it was so hard to communicate because I was in such bliss. But I thought the shortest way to tell God this is where I want to be forever is to say, take me. And I attempted to say those words, but words aren't there, you know, and it, it just kind of went out into the, you know, it's just because there was just so much bliss. That was really what was what was present there and perfection and like I said, I can, I was allowed to expand and become infinite. And I thought, okay, I could feel at one point, I am so large, I'm going to shatter, is what it felt like. And I just surrendered into it. I was ready. I was ready just to complete whatever it took to be with God forever, shattering. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I just, and so I kind of just lay back in, in God rested in God and and expected to then shatter and at the very last millisecond before the shattering I was brought back dropped down in the body and opened my eyes and I felt I could not believe I was in the body it just felt so confining um I remember looking around the room and the walls seeing walls was so uncomfortable and I had the thought I don't know how I'm going to live with the walls <laughs> you know it was it was so odd to have that thought but that's what I you know it, this is so confining here and um and then my next thought was did that really happen and I started feeling my body and I realized I'm completely healed the migraines totally gone all effects of the medication are gone. I'm not lethargic. I'm not having difficulty breathing. I started pushing my head because usually with the migraine, my head becomes so sore. And I was just, you know, 
mashing my head, knocking against my skull, like I should be feeling some kind of pain, but all the pain is gone. And I was like, I can't believe it. I, I think I've experienced a miracle. And but my next question was, why me? And then the question, and then I decided after that, I, I just don't know if I can believe this just yet. And I told myself, if I wake up in the morning and my body still feels normal, then I'll allow myself to believe this happened. And then I woke up the next morning and I felt great. No, usually, you know, after a migraine, I wake up the next morning. It's difficult to move my head. It's sore. It's even painful to brush my hair. I mean, I was having some really painful migraines and no pain or discomfort whatsoever. And um, I had a friend uh, call me the next morning and I told her what had happened the night before and she was very accepting of it. She had known about some of my experiences when I was a teenager and she said, this doesn't surprise me with you. <laughs> and um, even though I was still trying to come to terms with it, she immediately was like, this is great. This is great. And I said, but I can't, under, I don't understand the static. I don't understand what that was. And she said, why don't you go to the bookstore and see if you can find a book about healing? And so I did as she recommended. And as I was walking into the bookstore, I had the thought, I don't know where to find a book. And a, a vision popped up of, um, there's a TV show called Touched by an Angel. And I've never seen the show. But I, I saw the poster and the cast, and so I thought, okay, I'll go to the angel section and, and find a book there. And I just randomly picked up books with titles that appealed to me. And I had a stack of books in my arms, probably about five or six books. And I just randomly opened the top book, and the first paragraph I read was a woman describing her experience you know, from being healed by an angel and that she had felt static. And I was like, okay, that's what happened. And, but I was just, then my next thought was, how did I walk in here and just randomly open a book that described exactly what I experienced the night before? And I was just overwhelmed. And I slammed that book and I threw all the books back on the shelf and I walked out of there as fast as I could. I just could not get my mind wrapped around what was unfolding and I eventually came to terms with it and within just a few days just you know playing it over and over in my mind and accepting that God was a loving God mm. you know and, and that was life-changing that was totally life-changing to know that we are all held in God we have the light of God within us and I had to give up the concept of judgment. And I was changed. I was really changed at that point. And wow. um, do you have any questions? Um, well, that's really, really fascinating stuff. Um, it's really immersed in your story. The static is interesting because I had a, very similar experience with the static and I haven't, I didn't make much of it. And I actually haven't told anybody, not because it's secretive. I just didn't really give it much significance, but I had a, a dream in which there was a very mystical, powerful woman. 
she had handed me some sort of piece of paper and then she said, okay, give it back. And I gave it back to her. I took that to be some sort of payment transaction going on. She gave me something. I could give it back. So I gave her something. And then she, in exchange for the piece of paper, uh, began to just massage my nose. Like, uh, I guess this is called the bridge of your nose, the bridge, I think that's what it's called. And she just massaged and it was extremely blissful. And I melted into this static, just blissful static, like on a TV screen. And, um, I woke up and I still felt this static all over my body, but it felt like now my body had emerged out of the static, like a, an outline of my body had come out of the static. So it's interesting. It seems like we've had like, you know, a similar encounter with this, you know, blissful, loving static of consciousness or, you know, not, not sure, but mm -hmm. fascinating stuff. You mentioned, uh, you know, the angel had, uh, entered into your your lower stomach with its its hand and sort of manipulated what we would you know with within this context of the series here what we would call like the kundalini to to rise um in what you shared there was a lot going on and so i can totally understand why you would go to the bookstore and throw the books away and you know almost you know you're overwhelmed you know there's so many things to uh, process and, and unpack and make sense of. And, and not only were you, you know, m melting away into oneness and, and wanting to be with God, but then there was also this energetic phenomena that took place within your body. Um, I was just uh, exploring the work of Dr. Yvonne Kason. And are you familiar with her at all? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. I just came across her work. Somebody introduced me to her uh, about a week ago. And I am not a near-death experience-er, uh, but I was really fascinated by her work in, in which she says, you know, maybe the Kundalini awakening awakens happens, you know, in these near-death experiences as a means to protect the brain. The energy rises up to protect the brain from death. Now you're familiar with the work, maybe even more than I am. Do you have any comments about that? Did, did that, is that a theme that sort of emerged for you as you began exploring? Yeah. I've, I've read that she, you know, considers that to be an option. Um, I'd really, I, I know I was energetically changed from the NDE, which is common. Uh, a lot of people come back to their body and set, you know, affect electrical things around them and that sort of thing. I didn't, I didn't have that effect. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I did have the after effect of uh, increased psychic abilities. That's another, oftentimes in the ears will come back and have increased intuition, increased psychic abilities. So that happened with me. So I, I feel like it, the experience did energetically shift me. Mm -hmm. um, I would later go on uh, a few years later and have a kundalini rising uh, from the base okay. of my spine. Yeah. But at this, the NDE for me was just an energetic shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I, um, I, that was one of the first things I noticed that uh, my experiences with my dad became much more clear. I could see everything very clearly, hear him very clearly. And where, as before the NDE, we could would be able he would be able to communicate a few sentences with me. After the NDE, we could sit there and have conversations, wow. you know. 
Um, and that's when he began teaching me. And uh, he would teach me about energy. Uh, he was trying to get me to shift my, I was, even after that experience of God, I still in my mind would habitually just refer back to God as a he. And he, you know, I talked about, I would still see this God, this man in the sky kind of thing. It had just been so ingrained in me as a child. And so my father would come up with different ways to show me it's not a man in the sky. You know, you've got to get past that. And um, so like, for instance, our, our thoughts would really blend very well. And he, he would show me, he would show me the two of us in a room uh, and, and play out this scene before me to explain things to me. So um, he and I were standing in a room with a brick wall behind us. And he said, I want to take you upstairs and show you the man upstairs. But first, you've got to go through this brick wall. And I was like, why, why are you asking me to go through this brick wall? And he said, I want you to know how powerful you are. Just think your way through that brick wall. And I bumped up against it. And I promise you, I felt the brick. <laughs> it was the strangest feeling. You know, he's like, no, just set the intention that you are spirit and you can move through it. And so I set the intention on spirit. I can move through this. And I did. And then he showed me a spiral staircase and I started to walk up the spiral staircase. And he's like, no, you don't have to walk your, your spirit. Just set the intention and you'll move. And he's like, this is how I move. I just set the intention and I'm there. So I set the intention and went upstairs and my dad showed me, he said, this is God. And he showed me the Taurus, T-O-R-U-S. It's the energetic field. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Looks kind of like a donut. Yeah, the donut, yeah. <laughs> and he said, you know, he was trying to show me God's not a man. This is him. He's love. He's pure energy. And um, so he would teach me that way, you know, with symbology, oh. symbols and examples. And, you know, there would be other times like he he loved baseball. And so one time he's like, come with me. And he showed me he, my dad had made, you know, had the thought of a baseball stadium. And this is what he had designed just from thought. And, um, and he said, look what I can design. And your thoughts are so important. And because just with a thought, you're, you can make something happen. So really watch your thoughts. And I, at that time and all, you know, for years I'd been, a worrier. Uh, I would go into fear quite a bit. I would worry about my kids. I would worry about the future. Um, instead of focusing on love and unity and and more powerful, helpful thoughts that I could be focusing on, I, I was um, I'd be anxious. And and he would tell me over and over, you know, watch your thoughts. You change. Cha you can change them and not suffer. And um, so those are the type of lessons he would teach me. And eventually, one day I was coming out of the grocery store and he popped into my awareness and said, um, take a mediumship course. And I sat in my car and I looked up mediumship course and, and there was a course starting the following week. 
in a city that was about an hour from my hometown. I was like, okay, I'll go. This is not really something I'm interested in, but okay. I trusted my dad and um, he was wise when he was here. And uh, I thought, I know he's just trying to help me. So I'll, I'll go to his class. And that was a leap to tell my husband that I, I want to go to this class, but he's like, okay. And um, the teacher taught us to meditate. That's my first time to meditate. By then I was 42 years old. I had never meditated. And uh, she encouraged us to start a yoga practice. And, um, and then I just learned names for, my gifts, clairaudient, clairsentient, you know, all the clairs, clairvoyant. And it did help me to accept myself. It's like, okay, people talk about these things and this is okay. And um, one of the homework assignments was to lean against a tree and to feel its energy. And I did that and I felt the energy of the tree and it was wonderful. And that night, just as I was slipping off to sleep, the Kundalini energy rose up, just electrical, you know, snaked up, and it stopped at my head. And I thought, okay, that was interesting, and actually that was kind of weird. So I don't know what's going on here, and I'm not going back to that class. And I just had this internal knowing that you keep going down that road your life is really going to change and I didn't want it to change and so I just tried again to stop you know whatever's happening there's obviously something happening I'm going to try to stop this and the migraines continued and um but I kept up with the meditation and the yoga practice and during the meditations I began hearing guidance and it started out with all is well and I thought okay and it wasn't my dad and uh, I thought I'm hearing and um, so I would meditate on a regular basis and over time I would be able to hear it went from hearing phrases to hearing sentences to hearing paragraphs of information and I would just write it down in my journal and um, one day I heard, you're going to experience a healing and you're going to speak about it. And I just wrote it down. And then the following months, uh, my guys went about teaching me about holistic approaches to healing. Because I was a speech therapist. Uh, I worked in hospitals and transitional care units. And I was very much of the Western medical model approach and uh pharmaceuticals and surgeries you know that you know of course and um they every time something either came on the tv or the radio about more natural approaches to healing um they would say listen up and so i would pay attention and there was a lot of information out there um during this time in my life, I'm now in my early 40s at this point, um, I, my body was in a lot of pain. 
I had spent so many years resisting my path. Um, my solar, solar plexus was just knotted up, just like my fist. It was a knot. I had gone to my doctor and he felt it. He goes, yeah, there's something going on there. I think he might have an aneurysm. And he ordered a CAT scan. Nothing showed up on the CAT scan. But at night, I would wake up doubled over in pain. And of course, you know, we know solar plexus is, uh, if you're not accepting yourself, uh, low self-esteem, struggling to be yourself, you know, all of those things. And I was uh, just really, I had a lot of self-doubt. Uh, I was giving my power away. Um, so, of course, years of that and I'm, it was just not. And um, so, and I was also coping with my emotions by eating. I was stuffing them down. Um, and I've been doing that since my NDE. Uh, I was having trouble being here. I had an incredible homesickness. I just would wake up every day and not know if I could stay here. It just, I longed for home and I didn't know how to get back there. Um, so I was really struggling <laughs> and I'd gained about 50 pounds since my NDE and I was depressed and anxious. And so eventually I was, I had a friend say, I wanted to lose weight. That's what I wanted. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was like, I've eaten so much. I've put on so much weight. I need to lose some weight. And a friend recommended an acupuncturist and he was also a chiropractor. And so I scheduled an appointment with him. And the first time we met, he said, you're going to experience a healing and you will speak about it. And it was like someone hit a gong. My whole body just reverberated. And I was like, I've heard this before. And I went back home and I looked in my journal and I had been given that message exactly one year prior to that date. And I was like, okay, something's something's going to unfold here. And uh, I would I had weekly appointments and um, I would have a lot of repressed memories come up with each appointment. I would see them I would see the memory just bubble up out of me and I would see the memory play like a movie and um, then have a week to process that and, and deal with it. And I'd go back the following week and more memories would come up. And at that point, then one of the memories was my repressed memory that I'd had at 21 of the lightning storm and the life review. And I was like, okay, I've, you know, I was coming to, I, I also repressed some spiritual experiences because that was just my first response is I don't want this. I don't want it. And just push it right down. Mm -hmm. And so all of that was just coming right back up right in my face and I was having to deal with it and fortunately um, the chiropractor was very open-minded and he would after each session you know say is there anything you want to talk about did anything come up and I said yes you know I'm dealing with this and this and at one point I said I'm I'm struggling with my religion and um I'm obviously on a spiritual path, but I don't know how to be myself and I don't know how to be in my religion. And 
if I leave, I want to leave the church. And if I leave the church, I'll be the first in my family uh, to do that. On my father's side, on my mother's side, I mean, everyone that I knew went to church every week. And it no longer was a match for me. And I was really struggling with that. And he was able to say, I'm having the same struggle. And he had grown up in the same religion and knew that it was no longer helping him. Um, so it was helpful to talk about that. And I gradually opened up with him about some of my experiences. And he opened up to me about some of his experiences because during one session, he put an acupuncture needle at my solar plexus. And I thought, I ne you know, I never had told him about my pain. And um, I said, how did you know to put the needle there? And he said, I'm guided and I, I see in the body where things need to be healed. And um, that place was completely healed within a matter of weeks. That pain was gone. It was just all that repressed, all those repressed memories. And um, it was nice to speak to someone who, he was the first person I had met as an adult outside of my family who said, yes, I have experiences. And he didn't judge me negatively. And he gave me a safe place to talk and to be myself. And I, at one point I was at home um, sitting on my bed. I'd just come out of a meditation and I was just sitting there pondering and asking, why has it taken it? Why has it taken so long for me to be myself? And then I realized I accept myself. I love myself. I'm not going to keep going on like this. And as, as I admitted to myself that I could accept myself and love myself, then that, you know, that Kundalini energy moved right up. That's what it needed. That was, I was, I had that big block. And then finally that was gone. And for the next eight months, I was, um, open to all that is, I guess is how you would say it. I, I, I would have lots of experiences and lots of downloads, experiences with deities and ancestors and friends' ancestors. And it was like the ancestors just lined up from everyone I knew. I saw their ancestors. And fortunately, from the mediumship class, I had learned in that class, I can set boundaries and I can express to spirit, no, you know, I need to sleep because that's usually when it would happen. It would be at night. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And of course, I'm in a calm, relaxed state. And then I would have all these experiences, so much information coming in. And um, especially with, I would see just people lined up and they would tell me who they were, you know, but I, I set boundaries and I said, um, I can't, I've got to sleep, you know, and what my uh, mediumship teacher had had advised is if you're okay with spirit coming to you, set business hours. That's the way she put it. So, you know, you can tell them I'll be, I'll sit down and I'll listen tomorrow from one to two, you know, mm -hmm. and if you want to come back, then you're welcome. But right now I want to sleep, you know. So I learned to set boundaries like that and to state my needs. And um, 
And like I said, that went on for about eight months and spirit was working very quickly to, to change more of my false beliefs. And uh, my mother would call me on a weekly basis and I could, I opened up to her and was explaining everything that was happening at that time. I, I knew I was having a spiritual awakening, but my guides had not given me the term kundalini awakening. I did not know that's what was happening. So I was able to express to my mother, I'm having a lot of experiences. And of course she was open because she'd had her own experiences. And so she would call every week and say, what have you learned? And so she went on the journey with me and she supported me. And uh, there were lots of surprises and my beliefs were shifting. Her beliefs were shifting. Um, and then eventually she lived in South Carolina at the time and I was in Tennessee and I was sitting on my bed one day meditating and my dad came through and he said, um, your mother's going to move to Memphis and you're going to be next door neighbors. And I didn't believe him. I was like, how is this going to happen? And, um, because I did not live in Memphis at the time. But over the next few weeks, it was apparent that my marriage was ending. Uh, that was just falling apart. And uh, it was pretty much after that eight-month time span of, of bliss, and I was one with it all, then I just took a nosedive. Took a nosedive into a dark pit, uh, dark night of the soul. And I knew, I looked it up, and I knew I was going through the dark night of the soul. Um, but when I reached that, it was, I could see everything's going to crumble. I'm, I'm going to lose a lot through this. And um, I had doubts as to whether I'd ever be able to crawl out of that pit. I was so tired. You know, just my lifetime of resistance had caught up with me. And I thought, I just don't know if I have the strength to climb out of this and to go into a new life. And, um, but my father had shown me my mother would be moving and she would be coming to support me. And that I did eventually file for divorce. And uh, after years of marriage counseling, and I was doing everything I could to hold it all together. And it became apparent that it would not be healthy for me to remain in the marriage. Um, so, I filed for divorce and the guidance had come to move to Memphis. And um, I had changed my mind at one point going against the guidance. So I just did not want to move. And one night the bathroom lights flickered and blinked for 30 minutes. Someone was really, I knew someone was really trying to get my attention. And so I said, okay, I'll sit down and listen. And it was the day, actually, I had decided not to move to Memphis, that, that the lights that night kept blinking. <laughs> and when I sat down and listened, it was simple, go to Memphis. And so I did. I moved. I started a new life. And eventually, my mother moved in next door. So it worked out as we were told. And... um 
it's just been about learning to be myself over these past, uh, it's been six years now, since five years since the divorce, learning to be myself, building a new life, um, getting comfortable with authentic, vulnerable relationships, which I just, I always was comfortable with that. I had very close friends, female friends all my life. Um, but I'd shut down so much in my marriage and it was, I had to relearn again, you know, it's safe. It's safe to be yourself. People were coming into my life who accepted me and I was making new friends and going to a church, a unity church where, you know, unconditional love is taught and meeting new people forming great relationships and I finally eventually settled into a life of peace and acceptance. Wow. Incredible. I think that uh being comfortable with being ourselves and accepting ourselves, especially as sensitive spiritual people, like we were saying earlier, it's such a common universal theme that there's a lot of resistance and fear around that. Um, recently, I learned a little bit about what some have called the witch wound, which is, uh, I guess, the generalization of, you know, at some point in a previous lifetime, maybe you were a magician or a sorceress or witch, and you were in the same way that Jesus was uh, persecuted for sharing some of your gifts and ideas and teachings. And that you know, many of us seem to, you know, have that wound still with us, what they call the witch wound. Um, I know I feel like I do. Um, not really sure, you know, what specific role I must have played in a past life, but I do feel that uh, reluctance to share um, the, the fear of rejection. Right. And so it's very common. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that you were able to find, uh, you know, self-acceptance and a beautiful community formed around you. And you're at peace and happy with who you are. It's inspiring for myself and I'm sure for many other people out there who have got this similar type of wound. Yes, I can totally relate to that. Um, when I had my huge opening at the age of 44, um, I was, I had a spontaneous recall of a past life in which I was burned at the stake. It was a very vivid and detailed um, remembrance. I saw it all so clearly. Uh, I must have been in Europe. I saw a Celtic cross uh, with a little platform on it. I looked it up and um, saw exactly the type of scene that I had seen in my vision of that past life. Uh, and it was traumatic to relive that. I, I was within that body. My presence was. I could hear her thoughts. I could feel her emotions. It was, of course, a very intense experience. But after I came out of that experience, I, I sat there and realized, oh, this explains so much of my life. Uh, of wanting to hide, of not feeling comfortable in the church, um, not feeling comfortable to express myself. Uh, I, it was all, I'd felt those things so intensely in my life. Um, and the witch wound has shown up many times on this path. 
to the point of um, the divorce was pretty difficult and it was clear. It's like, this is the witch trial playing out again. You know, it was uh, a lot of information came up about my experiences and my husband was trying to use those against me. It never worked. You know, he was trying to get custody of our daughter and um, nobody thought it was a big deal. Fortunately, I was very much protected, but it was, I, I knew in, in certain moments, I'm like, oh gosh, this is still related to this past life, you know, and I've got to find the inner strength to be myself, accept myself and um, not back down from from being told I'm not acceptable. And um, I finally have come to peace with that, but it's just been within the last few years. It's taken a lot of work. Oh, I can only imagine um, how much work it takes. I'm still doing that work myself as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it seems to be a universal experience around even... Um, I know that some people within Hindu culture describe having Kundalini awakening and even their family says, Oh, don't mess with that. Um, you know, you're, you're playing with fire and that sort of thing. So even people within a context and a culture that acknowledges these things, even they're like, you know, just shut it down to some degree. And so we all seem to carry this, this wound. And so I, I appreciate your courage and your example for for going through and uh you know not letting uh those who fear you know their what what we fear the light you could say not letting them you know dim it permanently um you mentioned you know when you have a big opening you mentioned the 8 month period of of living in a a, a state of oneness you know, beautiful state. And then following that, I think your words were that you, you know, you took a nosedive into the dark night. And this seems to be a very common uh, way that it plays out. We have a big opening, it's beautiful, it's blissful. And then we are called back down to sort of do some work. Um, do you have any words of advice for those who may find themselves in the dark night lately uh, at this point in their journey? What can you say to them? Well, my first uh, plan of action was to go into therapy. I, I could, I had a wonderful therapist, wonderful, um, who helped me. And to realize, you know, that I was codependent, I was a people pleaser, I was giving my power away, and she worked with me on those issues. Um, I was ready to change. I was, I was like, I'm suffering, <laughs> you know, I need help. And I think it's important to find a therapist with whom you can be completely yourself. Just put it all out on the table, you know, and just say, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. I'm ready to heal. And uh, I've had, like I said, I had a fantastic therapist who helped me through that. And then um, building authentic, supportive, loving relationships, uh, people who will hold the space for you to just let you talk about your struggles, talk about your celebration, what you want to celebrate, you know, if you're experiencing some growth and you're like, oh, I'm changing and you want to be able to talk about that. You know, of course, friendships like that involve pe being with people who have done 
some work on themselves as well. You know, those, those are pretty deep conversations. And, um, but of course that builds such deep connections with others. And so I think we just can't go it alone. I, I just don't know how I would have ever have been able to go it alone. Um, so I leaned on friends at times and my mother at times, you know, especially through the dark night of the soul, I was so physically exhausted. Um, and I even at one point had difficulty just going to the grocery store. Just some simple things were very triggering to me. And, uh, so she would do my grocery shopping there for a few months. I needed her to do that. And um, I'm a very independent person and it was hard to ask for help or, you know, but I accept, I learned to accept help. You, you've got to accept help. You just, you can't do everything on your own through this. Um, and I learned to nurture myself. That was, you know, I'd, I'd had a lot of negative self-talk in my earlier years. And I learned to have compassion for myself, to ask myself, what do I need? You know, feel into myself. Do I need rest right now? Or would it help to move? Would it help to go out and sit in the sunshine, walk in nature? You know, just constantly asking myself, what can I do for you? You know, I learned to love myself, have compassion for myself. And right. then reaching, I was guided uh, to different types of holistic healing uh, techniques and they over a span of about four years just I would be guided to one thing and I'd have a healing from it I'd be eventually guided to something else so um, my therapist used uh, EMDR eye movement desensitization uh, reprocessing I wrote that down so I knew I would remember but that really helped with the PTSD. I had PTSD from my marriage and I would loop, I would get stuck in thoughts uh, from the marriage and I couldn't get myself out of it. Just, I could not get out of the loops and it was so painful. I was suffering so much. And uh, so to treat the PTSD, that's what she recommended and it helped. Then with the, I had physical pain that would come up within the body uh, from time to time, and my migraines were still continuing from time to time, and I was given clear guidance to um, seek myofascial release. It's performed by a physical therapist, and she worked those knots out of me, and I haven't had a migraine since. I've had one other migraine, but that was it in the last few years. So it was great to get rid of the physical pain. I don't experience that anymore. So it was all about just following the guidance and being open to anything, you know, any way I could heal, I was open to it. Um, and it worked to get me past the suffering. Wonderful. Thank you. It seems like much of what you shared for going through the dark night is not limited just to when we're in the dark night. So for example, you mentioned, you know, nurturing meaningful relationships. When you come out of the dark night, the relationships that you nurtured and developed are still there, right? It's not that these are uh, just something you only do when things are difficult. 
And so that's what I, I feel is important is that we understand the dark night, like you've been describing, is not the state of victimhood. It's a state where we're being called to reinvent ourselves, to transform, to rediscover, and and then take what we, you know, achieve in that period and bring it out into the light and live in a new way as a result. So there's there's a growth that comes from the dark night. I, I it's it's a very scary topic to think about. Um, a lot of people feel that they're in it, and it's almost like it is something wrong to get there. But it's it's just a very very challenging period on the path, and out of great challenge comes great growth, like you've demonstrated with your journey. So thank you, thank you so much. How about so? You seem to not even seem. It's very apparent that you have obvious uh, inclination towards contact with guides with non-physical spiritual guides to put it uh in general terms so do you have any advice for those out there who are you know seeking some sort of guidance from beyond you know many people have this feeling like i think i'm receiving guidance from beyond but i don't know if that's my own ego or you know do you have any any uh, any tips or suggestions for those interested in, in cultivating these gifts? Yeah, it's difficult at first to uh, determine, am I hearing my ego or am I hearing spirit? It, it's difficult. Um, I get into this space in my mind and within my body that I've learned to go to. It was interesting. I was I took a spiritual class online and uh, we were all, you know, practicing meditation together. And the teacher went around and said, you know, where is the spot that you feel where you go to for peace? And some people said, I go down and within. Some people said the peace is behind me. Some people said the peace is above me. Uh, and I thought that was so interesting that we each had our different kind of location to go to. And mine has always been going within and kind of and sinking down into the peace. And I'm able to to go there by breathing, you know, observing my breath and just concentrating on the inhalation and the exhalation. And I say a, a prayer of protection. I call in my guides. I call in the protection of uh, Archangel Michael is who I use. Uh, he's a powerful protector and uh, I ask to receive information that is for my highest good and the highest good of everyone is basically what I pray after I pray for protection and then I just sink within and get still and listen and um, I've noticed you know the mind will start coming up with a to-do list that's usually what my mind knew I needed run this errand and I, I need to take care of this and I, I'll realize oh that's that's me that's my mind so I'll put that thought on the cloud that's the way the meditation teacher taught us see that thought pass by and I return to my breathing just focusing on my breathing and then at times I'll hear I'll hear a message um I'll see something uh What's been successful, you, you start to, you, you know, I built this relationship with my spirit team. And so, you know, you tell them, or I told them, 
I really like it when you do such and such. I can really tell it's you. Do more of that. And the first thing that I could always realize they were speaking to me is through music. Uh, the very first time I knew my spirit team was with me, I woke up one morning and I kept hearing this song play over and over in my head. And I can see it's by Kofi Calais, Brighter Than the Sun. And um, that's a song I hadn't heard for a long time. And this song played in my mind all morning for like four hours to the point that I was frustrated. And I was like, oh, I can't stop this song. And um, I got in my car to run an errand and that song was on the radio. And I thought, okay, somebody's trying to get my attention. <laughs> and I listened to the words of the song. Uh, it was all about, we go together like peanuts and payday. We're together. Lightning strikes the heart, uh, goes off like a gun, brighter than the sun. And it was about this joining um, that was by fate, that was one of the words in the song. And I thought, okay, this is my this is my team. They're here. And um, so I told them, I really like that. I like it when you get my attention with music. So they've done that a lot since. They'll play songs that I've never heard of, but I can hear the verse and I can just type the verse into YouTube and there's the song, you know, and I listen to the song and it's, always has a very helpful message in it or they play songs that I just wouldn't normally think of you know so I've told them give me information that Angela would not typically think of you know and they've also um, they get my attention by showing me words that I don't know uh, I have to go and look up the words like Hindu words and Buddhist words that I, I just haven't studied those other traditions much. I have when I'm given the words. I'll look up, you know, what are they trying to tell me? Um, and I'll, uh, a lot of Egyptian information and that kind of thing, uh, it comes through in words. There have been times like there's been an issue with my body or something. They'll, they'll tell me what that is. Um, so, and that works really well because I'll see those words flash in my mind and they've got my attention. So I've told them, keep giving me information like that. I can see it. Uh, so I tell them what works and what I, how I prefer to be communicated with. And uh, that's helped. So we kind of have our system. Um, and it just takes practice. You know, I've been practicing for years since I took that mediumship course. I was 42 and I'm 50, 52 now. So 10 years of of practice of realizing um, most of my, you, you get a sense of where the information comes in. Is it something you figure out which of the Claire's, Claire Audient, Clairvoyant, uh, Claire Cognizant, Claire? Sentient. Thank you. <laughs> you get a sense over time of, oh, this is my strong area. I can hear easily or I can see easily. Um, and then when those, or I just had this knowing and I feel it in my body and I can trust that. And, and I make notes in a journal of the information I receive. And then I go back and review that journal from time to time. And I'm like, oh, they were right. You know, they told me such and such was going to happen and it did. Um, 
they gave me information here and would tell me what to share and I would share it and it worked out beautifully, you know, and so my trust, I built up my trust with my guides that way of seeing through my notes and through all the information coming through, I could follow through with the guidance and it would work out very well for me. Even at times when I thought this, there's no way this is going to work out. It did, <laughs> you know, so I was like, okay, I can trust them. And um, I think that's a big part of it is the trust, learning to lean in and follow and see where that leads you. Beautifully said. I appreciate the the practical tips that you shared, you know, even just referring to them as your, your spirit team, it makes it so much more tangible and, and communicating them in a, in a person, communicating with them in a personal way saying, Hey, this is what I prefer as if they were actual entities out there that are able to respond and cater to you, which they are, right. Mm -hmm. They're not this, this vague sort of ethereal thing. They're, they're intelligent and uh, they're willing to cooperate with you. Very cool. Very, very cool. And, and I especially like what you shared about developing trust. I think that's so, so important, you know, uh, and you shared some, some stories throughout your journey where, you know, like, you know, moving back, back home and, you know, there was resistance and, you know, or, you know, the bathroom lights flickering even more to get your attention and you realize, okay, I, you know, I can't really fight this. I've had experiences to similar degree where eventually realize it's always worked out. And so, I mean, what else am I going to do? I, I can give you many, many times where I've tried to control things and it didn't work out. But whenever I listen to the guidance, it's always worked out. And so eventually the scales tip and mm. you're operating in a new way, in, in a in a more surrendered way. Um, mm. It is challenging though. It is challenging. It's a dance, but it's very, very exciting. So thank you for sharing those, those tips here. So throughout this series, um, I, I want to speak about kundalini in a way to show that it's not just this sanskrit hindu yogi thing it's a universal human experience and the way you've shared your story is a really beautiful example of that because you didn't really put too much emphasis on this you know kundalini it's been an entire transformation that you've undergone over many many years and have had a vast uh, array of different experiences within the context of you know being being down south the church with religion within a family and so this is perfect for for my intentions with this series um is to show like it's not just this yoga thing it's not just this thing from india it's a human thing it's a universal thing so but with that said i'm just curious do you um do you relate with with kundalini in the way that um teachings and traditions of the East would might refer to as the divine mother of, uh, you know, the divine mother Shakti. I, I know that uh, in our correspondence, you mentioned you had some, some relationships with, with Shiva and you were reading some, some uh, I think it was uh, autobiography of Yogi and you had some, some mystical encounters with Shiva, but how about with Shakti, with the divine mother? Is there anything there for you? Um, the feminine, uh, De deities that I experienced were Parvati and uh, Durga, Kali. I think those, yeah. So yeah. they would come to me from time to time. 
and it would um like Parvati showed up I was doing yoga so one of the first times I'd attempted yoga and I could see what position to go into next and I thought somebody's helping me teaching me these positions I was just you know I wasn't in a class I was just trying to follow through with what the meditation teacher advised I thought okay I'll just try this at home and see what happens and but I was giving given the positions and so I asked who's helping me and it was our body um and then with Durga she came in uh when I was needing to learn to use my voice and to speak up for myself and to have inner strength um so she helped me with that uh also had an experience with Ganesh you know as I was uh, explaining to you the difficult time through the divorce and the challenges and Ganesh came in and said you're protected you know everything's going to be okay um so yeah I had right. help along the way that way as well well I, I like that you mentioned that Ganesh came and told you that you're going to be protected uh the general idea of Ganesh is we you know that he's the, uh, the remover of obstacles but I think there's also some I think I'm pretty sure there's some some stories of him actually um, standing guard, uh, like a bodyguard, like a bouncer at at some sort of, I don't know the full story, but he wasn't just removing obstacles. He was an obstacle protecting. So mm -hmm. that's cool that you mentioned that. Um, you, you mentioned that you were, you were being shown some yoga poses and how to go into them. Now, were you was your body moving into them involuntarily or were you voluntarily moving into them based on what you were shown? Yeah, I would see the position and then I would move my body into that position. Okay, mm -hmm. right. So that's a very interesting way in which um, we, we are you know taught, I guess you could say, inwardly. Uh, often we think of uh, within the Kundalini system, we, th we think of uh, Kriyas as these involuntary movements, yoga poses, tremor, shaking, vocalizations. Um, but I'm sure there are many out there, but you're actually the second person besides myself that I've encountered uh, that have were shown something and then you were, you know, you went into it after being shown. So I was told, you know, do this, do that. And then I would say, okay, I'll do it. But then I've also had experiences where I didn't have a choice. It just was being done to me. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to point that out for our listeners. You know, there are ways, there are different ways in which, you know, Kriyas can come about. And some of them, you may be shown what to do and then you'll listen and do those things. And at other times you'll just be forced to do them and you won't know what's happening. Did you have any experiences like that where almost involuntarily mm -hmm. you're moving or anything like that? Yeah, that first week after the big opening, uh, I had quite a few kriyas. They would occur mainly at night, and I'd be, you know, going into different poses in the bed, you know, stretching, and just kind of would take me over for a while. Uh, but I noticed it was helpful at releasing the tension, and so I just allowed it to happen. Right. And then pretty right. much after a week, uh, that stopped. But I've I'm, I feel like I'm pretty in tune with my body and when it needs to move now, I've learned that. So uh, I can feel like it's time to go for a walk or it's time to get down the floor and do some stretches or yoga. 
um, or dance, you know. Otherwise, I do tend to kind of have some creas, you know, where I'm moving around. So if, I've noticed that if I'll just let my body move through intentional dance or walking, that sort of thing, it I don't have difficulty with creas. Great. Thank you for sharing that. It just gives people out there another perspective and 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 another idea of how to relate with Kriyas. I know that it's a very freaky thing that a lot of people are afraid of. Um, I was speaking with somebody earlier who was describing it almost as if, you know, some force was taking over their body without their consent. And of course, that would be a terrifying thing. And if you look at it that way, you're justified in being afraid and not, you know, being willing to cooperate. But in what you described here is you noticed when you go through them, you know, it was helping you. And so you said, okay, you know, we'll go through them. And then eventually the frequency and intensity of them diminishes um, because they serve their function. And when there's not much left to heal, you don't need to go through much intense uh, of all the freaky stuff. So, you know, <laughs> if we just allow ourselves the space to go through it, like you did at night, you know, it's it works out. I feel like a lot of people think that, you know, this is just going to be their life now. You know, for the next however many decades, they're going to be doing all sorts of, you know, spasms and dancing automatically and moving around in all these weird ways, vocalizations. But but really, once they serve their purpose, it doesn't have to arise. You become pretty stable and grounded. At least that's what I've experienced. It seems to be what your experience is as well. So mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you. And you know, it's, it's coming to the point where we're going to have to begin to wrap up. You've shared so much. It's It's been a, a lot of not only great storytelling and, uh, you know, validating experiences, but there's been some great nuggets of wisdom and everything you've shared. And so there's a lot to contemplate. So I thank you for that. Um, maybe I'll, I'll pose one last question for you. I know you touched upon it, but just to really hit it home, can you speak to us a little bit about self-love? and its significance for you and how others can also um, practice it to reap its benefits. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was so important that I learned that in this lifetime and implemented it. Um, I guess, I, well, I know the self-worth really came in once I'd had my NDE and my experience with God. And, and in that experience, I realized um God doesn't have favorites. We're all equally loved. We are all, uh, we all had the light of God within us. Um, and with that, I was put on a level playing ground, I guess, of how to go through this life. Because I, before that, I'd put myself at the back of the line. I, you know, I was a people pleaser. Um, and once I knew that I was equal, I wasn't any better, but I was equal with others, then I learned, you know, I can speak up for my needs and I can speak up for myself. And I found my voice that way. Um, I mentioned earlier, I think that, you know, I had to learn to set boundaries, not only with spirit, but with humans, you know, and I've been taught to be a good girl. You just, you just please others, serve others, which it's wonderful to serve others, but um, people pleasing and sacrifice sacrificing our own needs is is not always helpful. So um, 
I had to learn to set healthy boundaries at times. And that was difficult as I was learning that, you know, I felt guilty for setting boundaries initially. And then over time, I learned to do that more easily and to have the confidence that I could do that and I could take care of myself. To me, self-love is that nurturing, that um, knowing your worth, knowing you're equal to everyone else. And uh, that brings in harmony and joy and happiness instead of uh, sacrificing yourself and then resenting others. You know, that's just not necessary. You, the resentment and the sacrifice is not. And um, it's just being able also to be aware of the divine within and knowing how to connect with that and re continuously remind ourselves of, you know, I, I, I'm holy. I have the light within me and so does everyone else. And, and uh, there's really nothing I can't handle. I know I'm protected. I know I'm loved and I'm safe. And even though challenges arise, I, I've learned through my experience because I've been told ahead of time of several of the challenges I've gone through in my life. I knew the challenges were meant to be part of this experience here. And uh, that's how we grow and change and transform through those challenges. And, uh, and so just loving myself through each challenge, you know, life has, has leveled out that there's still going to be things that arise as long as we're here. Uh, there'll be difficult situations that arise from time to time. But with the self-love and loving of others, um, I'm able to work through those difficult situations now much more easily and with trust than I ever have before. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Those are bold words that you shared. You said, I'm holy. Right. Pretty bold thing to say, but you said, so is everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's that's really, really, I love that. I love that. I'm I'm holy. And so is everyone else. Mm -hmm. I've I've met some people who, you know, they get a little afraid. They're like, you know, am I am I supposed to say I'm, you know, I've just realized I'm God. Do I do I tell people? I'm afraid it's gonna, you know, I'm gonna become, you know, like a narcissist or something. And I said, look, as long as you finish the sentence by saying, you know, I'm God, and so is everyone else, then you're good. But if you leave out the part about everyone else, well, then you know. You know, like, then you're going to be in a bit of trouble. But uh, I really love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Angela. I really, really appreciate hearing your story today. The wisdom, the the insight that you've shared is invaluable. And many people out there are going to listen and relate. Your story is unique, but the general themes, I'm sure there's people out there that have, you know, never really related with anybody on some of the topics that you've shared. So thank you so much for sharing that. I really, really appreciate you taking the time here to be vulnerable and open, to be a messenger and to let us know, you know, that we are all holy. We're all loved. And uh, your your example is, is, is shining and radiant. And thank you. Thank you so much. So for those out there that would like to connect with you and you know, express their gratitude, um, maybe ask, a little bit of a, a question or two about some of the more details that you maybe you weren't able to share with us today due to time. Is there a way that they can reach you? Yes. And you can post my email address below. 
Okay. Yeah, I'll share your email and people can connect with you and, you know, just uh, reach out and, and share their appreciation with you for sharing. So thank you so much. Really, really appreciate that. And um, hope to stay in touch. Uh, thank you. Thank you once again for all our listeners out there that are listening. Thank you for spending the time with Angela and I together. We appreciate you as well. And until next time, much love and peace. <laughs>